Welcome to The Rough Puffs. I'm your host, Andrea Bennett. And I'm Kim Fu. This is a podcast where we talk about The Great British Bake Off. We're rewatching it from the beginning. We're up to Series 4, Episode 7, Pastry Week. I am excited for Pastry Week. Um, I also cannot believe how quickly this season has flown by. I am shocked, awed, surprised, all of the (laughs) synonyms. I'm surprised that your excitement for Pastry Week was not killed the instant you heard it was suet pudding for the signature. Okay, so you know last season when Ryan made something called lardy rolls or lardy cakes? Mm -hmm. And I was like, why would anyone do that? And you described what eating one was like um, or what you thought eating one would be like. Um, I tried to bring that energy into the suet challenge. Um, that being said, I would have done what Ruby does. and She uses a vegetable suet. Mm-hmm. So suet is the hard, they tell us, suet is the hard white fat that surrounds the kidneys and loins of sheep and cattle. Yeah, I felt like they described it in the least appealing way possible, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just sort of matter of fact. I did want to ask you if you felt like they, they showed the sheep more frequently this episode again. <laughs> I didn't notice that, although I was I was picturing their internal workings, you know? I was picturing a x-ray view oh. of sheep and the hard fat around their kidneys. Yeah. Well, you know, while they're showing it being, well, you know, shredded into the flour, you know, like, it was, it was hard not to connect those two things mentally. I don't like to connect those two things. I, I just like to look at the sheep and think, like, aw, sheep. And then, yeah. Becca used lamb meat in hers, which felt, uh, I don't know, maybe that's that's really flavor cohesive. Yeah. (laughs) She made, what did she make? She made um, a spring lamb and vegetable suet pudding with red currant gravy. (laughs) And I have to hand it to Becca this time around. Her vegetables looked cooked well, as opposed to cooked into oblivion. Yeah, they said so. they said that. They said that her meat was tender, but her vegetables were just cooked, which is a yeah. feat. I loved that they kind of uh, ribbed her a little bit for it being too big, kind of, was, was the thinking. Like, sort of yeah, like unwieldy funny. looking. And Mary was like, what, what would you say? This would feed like six or eight? And the fact that in my family, maybe four. Yeah. That would be the same as my family. Big mm-hmm. appetites. The Bennets. Um, I just, it's, I, I like how that changes her calculus, though, too, right? I mean, if you have to feed an army, you're going to have more pastry around the outside, right? Like, keep them busy with less meat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And the suet is, I mean, you're probably using suet less than you're using spring lamb. Mm-hmm. Something that everybody else seems to find dodgy in this challenge is something that I find appealing, which is the goat cheese ice cream that yeah. um, Francis is making to go along with her uh, suet pudding. I also found that confusing. Like, they kept talking about goat cheese as though it was, like, a really challenging flavor. Yeah. Hint of goat. Yeah, at one point, Sue eats just, like, some goat cheese on her hand or something and has this really strong reaction. And I'm like, goat cheese mm-hmm. is not that strong of a flavor. I, I don't understand what's going on here. I find it a, I don't know, like, a strong flavor in the sense of, like, any good cheese kind of has a strong It's not dish a challenging flavor. cheese. I think you could... I don't find it You could it assume most cheese. people would like goat cheese. Like, I think of it as, like, a 
fairly neutral one to put out. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I I would agree. There are way more challenging cheeses. There's that one cheese that has maggots in it, for example. <laughs> or just or just you know but, any any strong cheese. You know, like even even like yeah. a mild strong cheese, like a Gruyere. I think more people struggle with that Ooh. than with something as like creamy and pleasant and neutral and just a little bit sharp like a like a goat cheese I love a gruyere me me too but I mean yeah it's more of like a texture thing for me I like a strong flavored cheese but I'd rather have a gruyere than like a gooey brie or oh yeah uh camembert that's I think that is unusual I think most people like a gooey brie I think a brie is like a melted brie is being also an extremely neutral crowd-pleasing cheese it's not my first choice on a cheese plate but i i'll eat it but um a true blue cheese not like an americanized Mm -hmm. blue cheese i do have a bit more of a yeah a bit more trouble with i think people use it improperly i i like blue cheese kind of on its own but i feel like people put it in a lot of things where it doesn't belong and it sort of spoils yeah. the other flavors. So we're we're agreed that the hint of cheese, hint of goat, goes well with the sweetness of fig in uh, Francis, which actually is where they end mm. up, um, where everybody ends up. So Francis makes a figgy roly poly pudding with caramelized walnut and honey ice cream, goaty goaty ice cream, and those also those are. F- favorite flavors of mine like that is a a flavor combination I would see on a menu and I would personally choose I if it if I knew it was a suet pudding I maybe would not but but flavor wise those are all things I love so they all they all do extremely well like this this signature Mm -hmm. everybody knocks it out of the park the judges love all of them they do but I I do find the way a steamed suet pudding looks is not yeah. <laughs> is not immediately appealing to me, right? But Francis is the only one that I think looks appealing to me, like right off the bat, without without any context, without being assured by the judges that it tastes delicious. You know, like like <laughs> yeah. if they were all on a table, I think Francis is the only one I would like go and take a hunk of. Maybe maybe Becca's just because I I like meat and gravy and vegetables. You know, like there's yeah. like no way to go wrong with that. But but on the whole, I do think the puddings. There is something unappetizing about the way they look texturally, even though, as I said, apparently they're all they're all great. They're all everything a suet pudding should be. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of a steamed dish like this, but you know who else is, I thought looked good, um, sort of, was Glenn's, sort of. I liked the tin that he chose, and mm-hmm. he did really lovely sugar work, but that prune and armagnac, is, that would not be appealing to me yeah and and mary found it too boozy but paul didn't which was very bizarre it was like a palette flip for the two of them i okay so many things happened during glenn's that i was shocked that it was good in the end it really looked in the close-ups like he had burned the shit out of it you know like he attempted Mm. so many times in two different ways to caramelize the sugar on the top and it just didn't work. (laughs) Like he tried it in the broiler and then he tried it with a blowtorch and it kept just singeing the pastry instead. The pastry was black on the top and not like the sugar parts, just like the actual pastry. (laughs) And so when they were eating it and they were like, oh, you know, like it's, it's fantastic. I was really, okay. Like, did you not get any of the charcoal? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Good for Glenn. I'm glad he sort of held his own. I would say if if it if we had to do a ranking in the in the first challenge, which everybody did well on, I would agree. Mm-hmm. 
Glenn would probably have ended up in the bottom. But it it's like a false bottom in some ways. But yeah, I mean, I felt relieved for him when they liked his stuff. Um, Kimberly makes a Barberry and Apple spotted dick um, with maple and white chocolate custard. Uh, spotted dick is something I've never seen uh, or never eaten, but I have seen uh, in in its tinned incarnation, which came up last season with those date puddings that are that they call something else. Oh, my family's gonna. You made it. Oust me. I know. With the pouring cream. I know I did. With the pouring cream. What's it called? It was the, it was uh, the, the toffee, toffee. Sticky, sticky toffee pudding. pudding. Yes. Thank yes. you. Spotted Dick reminds me of sticky toffee pudding. Lives in the same tinned neighborhood available as tinned dessert um, of my youth. We, we talked about this last time, but it is also, it's, it's an internet meme, Spotted Dick, as like, you know, ways yeah. in which the British are wild. <laughs> Traditionally, it's with currants, but she does hers with Persian berries, barberries, mm-hmm. um, which she says are kind of sharp and nice, and then does dried apple all as well. Um, Kimberly is comfortable with knife work in a way that few people generally are on the show. Mm. And uh, when they were like zooming in on her chopping stuff up, I was like, oh, thankfully, that's. That's nice for a change. Becca's not good with her knife work. She's using this piddly, tiny little knife to, like, murder her vegetables. So many people do on. that. Like, not on this show <laughs> and in general and in life. Like, if you watch, like, YouTube videos of people cooking and stuff, people use tiny knives all the time. I and I can't figure out why. It's like, get a chef's knife. Do you know how much faster you would chop things? Your, it'll change your life. I use my chef's knife. It's like the single most used tool in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, yeah. And I have two. And I sort of cycle between them based on which one is sharper. <laughs> I, I also have two because I I bought my mother like the heavier version, like the nicer version of the one I had. And then I was oh. so jealous of her that I bought one oh. as well eventually. <laughs> So I have like the it's like the same knife but like the light one and the heavy one and I only, I basically yeah. only use the light one when the heavy one's dirty. Yeah. In this episode, I was I had I wrote this like paragraph in my notes about how Kimberly like has the best mental health of anyone on this show. I think maybe ever. <laughs> She's so like positive and confident, and and sometimes it doesn't pan out, right? Like I feel like more than once she has gone into a technical being like. I know how to make this. It'll be fine. Um, and then it doesn't because the technical is such like this intense specific experience. Right. Um, but it doesn't like get her down. It doesn't like destroy her. She's so, she's so stable. She gives really good explanations to the camera of like what she's doing and how things work scientifically. I feel like you cannot destroy her self-concept, you know, like she's so resilient that no, like that no one thing going wrong in this tent is going to like, undo her forever whereas a lot of people on the show really feel like they're on the precipice you know like if this if this pastry doesn't work out my life is over is the vibe of a lot of people and you just feel like you could not take Kimberly out like that and I admire her so much for that yeah yeah she's great she's definitely like a top 10 all-time GBO GBBO contestant Mm -hmm. our listeners should probably know that um if you hear us being frazzled, it's just because our side of the world is on fire and 
during a pandemic. <laughs> I saw a meme today that was like, oh God. like my West Coast friends and my East Coast friends checking in on each other. And it was like one person was on fire. One person was underwater. Yeah. <laughs> no one's doing great. I think our listeners know. All right. Did we? Is there anyone? Oh, we didn't talk about Christine. She also made a spotted dick with vanilla custard. It's her grandma's recipe, husband's favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she's talking about it to Mary, she says Mary's name twice as if she's doing a job interview. Uh, <laughs> it, it's really nice, etc. She did a classic thing nicely as per usual. Moving along. Christine is fine. Christine's nice. She's a lovely person. She bakes good stuff, but she's just, I think, not her style is not that interesting to either mm-hmm. of us. They show the sheep before they turn to the technical challenge. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, spirits in the tent are high. Mary says uh, this one will sort them out because they, yeah. they all did so universally <laughs> well in the first one. <laughs> so mean. Yeah. So they're making Mary Berry's recipe. It's eight religieuses. So there are these like nun things. It's two shoe balls stacked or uh, profiteroles is also they call them. That's what my Gigi calls them. They're filled with creme pat, smothered in in chocolate ganache, and then they're piped with whipped cream kind of like around the seam. This doesn't seem that hard to me. Like, conceptually, especially compared to other things they've had to do in the technical. To me, just in concept, this seems like one of the easiest technicals, and I'm confused why it doesn't, like, pan out that way. I guess there are three things you need to do, and all three of those are things that people do have trouble with. Kimberly, the the Kimberly, the contestant, agrees with Kim, the host, on this, that people are more scared of it than they need to be because it's actually quite simple. I like making shoe pastry. I like making creme pat. And I have Mary Berry's words in my head when it comes to chocolate ganache, that chocolate will melt in a child's pocket. And so people often split their ganache or are impatient with their creme pat. And that's kind of where they fall down. But they make make all those elements a lot on this show, is what I mean. Like, if I were going to make this, it would be a two-day process, for sure. Like, it wouldn't just be a... How long did they have? It wasn't very long. Um, I think that's where the difficulty comes in, Mm -hmm. right? Because they've got to make the shoe, make the creme pat, and then um, make the ganache, and then get everything together in a way that it's not going to, like, melt apart. Mm -hmm. Okay, there there are two runny creme pats, um, Glenn and Francis, Mm -hmm. and... There's one, the shoe didn't rise, and that's Christine. And then there's Mm -hmm. one irregular in size, and that's Kimberly. There's one piping is imperfect, that's Ruby, uh, because they have to to pipe a whipped cream collar around at the very end of, like, you know, for the the nun's habit. And Becca aces it. So it's like, you're right. It's like they're doing, they have to do a lot of simple things perfectly. And so there's like, which one will you mess up? But I feel like a lot of the other technicals are like, this is inherently almost impossible <laughs> instead of it, it is possible mm. to ace this, right? It's, it's hard to do all these simple things, right? But it's possible. I feel like a lot of the other ones were just, they're really more, th- more thrown to the wolves. This feels like a fair test, like a hard test, but a fair test. When you're thinking about ones that were designed to just like make them face plant, like what's, What's the first one that comes to mind for you? A lot of them are are, were, are so old or obscure that they've never heard of them or done them before. Oh. Um, the snow eggs, that whole thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just keep thinking. 
that's usually my reaction. 99% of them, they announce the technical. And I'm like, that's so mean. Yeah. Like, what? And, and, and stupid. Yeah. Like, you never have to do that. Like, why would you'd always just go buy it or whatever, right? Um, you know what one I thought of was the, the hand raised pies yes. that they had to use those yeah. like extremely old school, mm-hmm. I don't know, pie summoners for last last season yeah that one was hard oh and it had the like um jelly lardy whatever bit in the middle anyway yeah. that was tough and gross like even if you succeeded i don't yeah. know <laughs> like there's a reason why it's old-fashioned and we don't do it anymore i guess is what i would say that is the benefit of this technical is that they're delicious mm-hmm. i want to like sue i would like to gobble up the mm-hmm. nuns but anyway, um, so Christine comes in sixth with her runny creme pat. I would have expected like a curdled creme pat because if you're trying to make it quickly, Christine didn't. Christine didn't have a runny creme pat. Christine was the a shoe. The shoe didn't work. Oh right, her shoe didn't yeah. rise. Which I wonder why. Anyway, but that sometimes just happens, right? And in outside of the context of a technical challenge, you just redo mm-hmm. it, but. There's not enough time to do that. Or you just, you know, you smother them with chocolate and creme pad and just eat them, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's just yeah. a carb conveyance. It's not a big deal. Yeah, that's true. Um, Francis, fifth. Kimberly, fourth. Glenn in third. Way to go, Glenn. Rooting for mm-hmm. Glenn because he's clearly at the bottom here <laughs> in terms of skill. Uh, Ruby in second and Becca in first, which, yeah, it's nice to see Becca come in first. Glenn points out that in, you know, when the groove is this small, even if you're the middle of the pack, you get a bronze medal, which I thought was very cute. Yeah. So he said, he says, uh, while they're like putting it together, like, you know, they're, they're struggling to just kind of glue the small ball onto the little, onto the bigger ball. And he says, it's a fiddly nightmare, the kind of stuff I hate. And I thought of you because like, that is something you expressed too, is like, to you, it's like about the deliciousness. What is the point of needlessly difficult decorating steps and then at the very end christine says they i was last i they were rubbish but i knew they were rubbish um and i I also thought that's like you had also made that point too like that you don't mind that kind of fuck up like where it's like clear um as opposed to like you thought it was delicious you thought you had done well and then the judges like turn on you like that to you is way worse yeah um so yeah i don't know like christine christine and glenn are on your wavelength in this one yeah (laughs) and they're nearing the bottom so that's good (laughs) but yeah with the real issues they are kind of like just straight profiteroles but with fancier yada yada Mm. so if I was going to make something like this, it would probably just be profiteroles without the extra step of stacking them like a snowman. Yeah, it doesn't even look that good. Even the, like, platonic ideal one that Mary makes, I don't think it looks that impressive. Like, I think just, like, a heap of profiteroles, like, covered in ganache would be yeah. would be better and, like, sort of more impressive, too. Like, just, just make a little pyramid. It's easier and, to me, it would look nicer. Yeah. At the end, Mal sags, like, Becca, like she does this sort of like, like sports team, like cheer on mm. type, uh, cheer, and it, it made me sort of think about like, it's like they're cheering for a teammate somehow. It's a show where people are competing against each other, but they're also all somehow like on the same team. I think we should um, head over to Andrea's baking corner. <laughs> I wish we got to hear it. 
So um, I made a joke on Twitter, uh, what will be like several weeks ago now, um, that was just kind of like a mashup of Arnold Palmer and Pommiers, um, which are also called elephant ear cookies that are made of puff pastry that you kind of like cover like you'd cover a uh, cinnamon roll and then you roll them up but you roll the sides you roll both sides towards the middle so they make like a little um not an eight because a bee kind of like a bee looking thing or elephant ear looking thing so I made Arnold pommiers so they had a I also made cocoa roll-ups so I made two different I made rough puff pastry I cheated and I didn't make a full puff because it's just easier with gluten-free stuff and so I cheated um and I made a cocoa roll-up that would have been a normal cocoa pommier but I decided to just roll it and have it be a spiral because that would be easier than a pommier Mm. shape and I wanted to vary it a bit and then the Arnold pommier I infused some Earl Grey tea into butter which reminded me of being in my late teens, early 20s and making weed brownies. Did your house reek of tea? Uh, oh, no. It's just like, no, it's the process of, because um, you use the fat no, and I know, butter I know. to extract But when you flavor. do that oh, with okay. weed, when you, when, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you combine butter and weed, the smell is memorable and, in de- and yeah. <laughs> permeates. It wasn't, it wasn't as intense as that. Um, and then I just used lemon zest. So I kind of just adapted a recipe to make it. And for the rough puff, uh, I used um, a Claire Saffitz recipe that a friend of mine who can't eat gluten, Lindsay Ziervogel, who's also a novelist, um, had suggested to me like ages ago in my Instagram DMs after she posted a picture of something delicious. And I was like, Hello, how did you make that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I sent you the pictures. So my first question is, how was the pastry? Were you pleased with the layers? Were you pleased with the flakiness? I think it was, yes, it was overall good. Um, I think that this one will stick out as one of the ones I've made that was sort of really delicious. Mm. Some of them are interesting to do, and I learned, like, I have sort of notes for how I'll improve them in the future, um, this rough puff dough, my kid helped me make it, and it, it was, Claire Saffitz describes it as, like, a really shaggy dough. In what way? Well, if you look at the pictures in the bowl, like, well, where Sinclair is, like, stirring it up, it doesn't fully come together and still until you start sort of, like, kneading it together, and, like, that happens, what happens is di- with the gluten-free dough is different than a gluten-full dough. But with a gluten-free dough, the fat kind of starts to, like, saturate the um, flour blend. And then finally it starts coming together. And the gluten-full dough, you'd be activating a little, a tiny little bit of gluten and, and getting that saturation. But I feel like um, in the process pictures, like, that's not necessarily obvious to me. Like, it looks the way it, it did um, on the show, like, when they were making gluten-full puff pastry you know like oh, like the okay. like the the crumbly stage looks the same more or less and then when it has come yeah. together and it is like laminated and then you have layers and you're folding like it looks it looks remarkably the same again i think the only difference is is color it is that slightly gray tone of your gluten-free flour mix yeah um <laughs> yeah but other than that i feel like it looks texturally the same it like it looks like you have 
like great layers and lamination already. It is harder to work with. So I don't know. I can't remember if I included pictures of this, but um, I do not just like flower the surface and then use a rolling pin and roll it out. I flower parchment and then I put plastic wrap over top of the dough and I roll out the plastic wrap um, after putting a little bit of flour down. Otherwise, it kind of sticks and becomes like a huge mess. It's harder for it. Also, it's more challenging to roll it out into like a into a rectangle. But yeah, I mean, it went okay. I think part of the reason it went okay is because I'm at this point like I'm used to use working with gluten free dough, mm. and I have a flour blend that I like because every single flour blend acts a bit differently. My next question is: Could you actually taste the tea in the palmiers? Yeah, you could taste the tea. I use the tea in the there's butter there's butter in the dough obviously but then there's also butter in the filling and I made the same mistake that I've made countless times at this point where I always use salted butter mm-hmm. but I should have used an unsalted butter because there's so much butter in a rough puff that you that if you use a salted butter it's like way too intense mm. so I realized that after I had infused the tea into salted butter. So I decided to just use it in the filling. So it's like four tablespoons, which is like way less than the than what's in the dough. What's in the dough is, I think it's like basically half flour, half butter. <laughs> um, Did you make more of the tea butter than you ended up using? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I have I have a bunch in my freezer. I think I'm gonna use it to make, make icebox cookies. Um, at some point in time, like a kind of shortbready type thing. And I might go half unsalted, half tea butter. I haven't totally decided yet. The tea, you could taste it, but it was subtle. It, mm. it didn't like punch you in the face with tea flavor. And I would like to try this infusing technique again. I, I think I will make the Arnold Palmies again because Will really liked them and Sinclair really liked them. And... Yeah, they were tasty. I can see them being a really good Christmas cookie, like oh. alternative Christmas cookie. Why? Well, just because I'm bored of so many of the Christmas cookies, and I don't like a lot of them. I don't like whipped shortbread, for example. Um, I don't know. There are a lot of Christmas cookies I find, like, boring and I never want to see again. Is is the flavor, like, warm as opposed to, like, citrusy bright? Is that why it makes you think of of Christmas? No, it's citrusy bright. It's just like, I think it would look nice on a plate. Mm. Like, it's just like a different thing that you could share when people are eventually allowed to be in the same room again and leave their little water droplets in the air without worrying about infecting their family members. They are highly decorative. Like, after you said that, I was looking at these last pictures again, and it does make me think of my mother-in-law's Christmas, um, where she likes to have sort of (laughs) fancy desserts around at every meal at Christmas time. Like, that's the... Like, even breakfast and, like, you know, there's just... There's, like, a plate of fancy desserts in the room, all, like, no matter what you're doing, because it's Christmas, you know, it's sort of her rule. Um, and these would fit in perfectly there. <laughs> They're that kind of fancy. Mm. Does she read? Is it like a different one every single time? <laughs> Some of them are store bought, so she doesn't make all of them. Um, oh, okay, okay, okay. Thank just, God. <laughs> yeah. Well, she, okay, she does, she does cook so much though, and it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, more people should help her. I, but 
she also doesn't really want them to. I've tried. It's a whole, yeah, yeah, it's a whole yeah. thing. This is a common, it's such a common Christmas time problem. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yours look very nice. <laughs> was my point. Um, they you. look like easily store-bought. Can you see the layers? Do the layers look Yeah, good? you can absolutely see the layers. You can see the layers. Okay. You can see like, like filling between the layers, like creating the shape, you know, the palmier shape. Yeah. And, you know, I kept thinking it looks like a, a clef. But then I was like, which clef? It doesn't look yeah. like a treble clef. It doesn't look like a bass clef. So what am I thinking? <laughs> Francis does a whole music-themed... So maybe that's why music is on the It's a tenor clef. They look but... like a tenor clef. It is a real clef. Oh, tenor clef. God. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, this is not something that's in my vocabulary or repertoire. Oh. So. But yeah, I was happy enough. I, the layers came out well. The one thing you're supposed to do with gluten-free pastry that I didn't do in this case was like start the oven 50 degrees higher and then knock it down after five Mm -hmm. minutes um but these cookies are in the oven for a total of maybe like 12 or 13 minutes and they have to go in batches um so it wasn't really possible to do that it was so fiddly to flip them at the halfway mark because they only solidify into their nice crispy flakiness after they've cooled down some of the first ones, I was just trying to flip them, and they were just like, oh, I can easily imagine that they just be like, like loose conglomerate of melted butter at that point. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was tricky, and I was, uh, well, I wasn't burning my asbestos fingertips, but I was kind of like doing that, like, whoo, ha, whoo, type mm-hmm. of thing. And then that is when I did the cocoa roll-ups. I was like you know, this will work just as well. (laughs) (laughs) And it'll be so much easier to flip them halfway through. How are the cocoa roll-ups? They're just very classic. That one is a straight Food Network recipe. The Arnold Pommiers, I took that same recipe and just fiddled with it to get the flavor combo I needed. The cocoa roll-ups are kind of cool in that they, you get like such a nice contrast between the filling and the pastry. Mm which is way more subtle with the Arnold Pommiers, but... I am sort of jealous that you just have tea butter in your house now. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's, like, a lot... Like, I'm kind of wondering, like, would it just be good on, like... Toast? Or, yeah, or you know, with, with a cup of tea, you know? Like, like the same tea. Like, if you oh. brew the, the same cup of the tea and you put it on, like, an English muffin or something, you know? Like, wouldn't that oh. pair really nicely? Uh, in addition to, like... Just baking all your usual things. If you did it with tea butter, how would it come out? Yeah. (laughs) I have done tea cookies before, but I haven't infused butter to do them. So I'm curious about how that would work. And it you lose the flex, I guess is the only thing. Like you don't get tea flex. Mm. It's just like a you strain the tea Mm -hmm. out. So you do lose butter too and you're when you're doing it. And the salt gets concentrated. Right. Because you're warming right. it up. So things to think about. Use unsalted butter. <laughs> it's expensive, too, because uh, you have to use loose tea. And it's something like the tea to butter ratio is it's pretty high on the tea side. Higher than I expected. Mm. <sighs> I, I keep thinking of this. Okay, this, this time, um, I can't even remember the ratio anymore, which is very key to this story but I remember I was helping a friend make weed butter and from which he made cookies um and then I I went to work like the the cookies were cooling and I left and I went to work um and I was telling my coworker about it um 
And I, I told him what the ratio was. I think it was like an ounce to a pound of butter or something. Something like that. It was like, Holy okay, shit. his response was an ounce. And then I immediately like, yeah. like, you know, I took my break and I called my friend who had made the cookies. And he's like, yeah, it's like me and my girlfriend are, were like threw up out a bus window on the way to a theme park. Yeah. Yeah, an ounce is a, oh, God, that's a lot. Oh, geez. That's how you learn. Sometimes you gotta learn. We used, back in the day, I can't remember why or how, but we ended up with a lot of shake, Mm -hmm. which is like, it's kind of like junk weed. um, The leftover bits. Yeah, stems, leaves, some other stuff in there. When you're trying to make like a really nice product to sell to your customer, it's what you end up with. Anyway, we used all this shake, though, to make wheat butter. Yeah, and then we made brownies and stuff. I have this other memory of a friend of mine having, like, a grocery bag full of shake. That's the volume in which it comes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm boring now, so I infuse tea into butter. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... For their showstopper, they have to make three kinds of puff pastry, which I wrote as puffy pastry in my notes for some reason. Just noticing that now. They get four hours. So that's a long stretch of baking that's going to be pretty like active that whole time because as their pastry is sitting, they're prepping fillings and things of that nature. So it's a pretty, I would say, three kinds of puff pastry over four hours is kind of an intense showstopper. It seems miserable, honestly. They all seem really focused and intense and so stressed out. Like, it's just too much of a level of engagement to be doing for four hours. And, and like, several of them say that, right? Like, Glenn says he hopes he never experiences four hours like that again. I realized that when we used to do this in the kitchen, we would be listening to music. Like, we would have things that would, like, amp us up a bit or keep us going. And it would be, like, teamwork. Because I have worked, I'm sure you have worked, like, a hard four hours. It's not like this, though. Like, the, okay, that's more like being in a factory. Like, you have your yeah. things you are... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm serious, right? Like, it's like you have your things that you're responsible for, right? And there's a point at which the food may as well be factory components, you know? Like, you're just supposed to be assembling them according to... You're just you're just supposed to meet specs with components. You're part of a line, you know? Like, you're... It, it's, it's very different than, like, you... I have to go for four hours to create every part of this very complex thing by yourself Mm. that you created. You came up with how to do it yourself. You're being filmed. (laughs) You're like being judged. And it's supposed to be like an expression of yourself. Like that is totally different. And four hours is way too much for that. Like, like I think that the thing that we do and you're right, we used to do it for, you know, I've worked a you know, 10 hour shift or whatever, right? Like it's part of it, but it's, it's, it's something totally different than this, I think. Yeah. I have worked in super small kitchens, so like a like a breakfast brush that is just basically me and one other person. Um, I've done that too, but it's, it's then it's just like eggs. You know, <laughs> like it's not I don't know. I'm not I'm yeah. not being asked to be like creative and precise. That's true. That is true. Um you know what I noticed too in this episode? Mel is like spite Mel's spicy in this episode. She makes a sex dungeon joke at the technical challenge um, stage that uh, uses soggy bottom. Um, and then at the beginning of the showstopper, she's like, think massive horn. Yeah. Yeah. 
okay, well, I am now. <laughs> They've gotten complaints, those two, our two, our two intrepid hosts. They've gotten complaints to the BBC about this tendency, exactly. I think that the people who complain should just um, watch Veggie Tales and get a life. But they're, so. you know, they're like, I can't even watch my wholesome baking show without hearing about massive hordes. That's their complaint. What's so unwholesome about a massive horn? I don't know. Anyway, Glenn tries an inverted puff method. Paul and Mary are skeptical as all hell. They're staring him down while he does yeah. it. Like they're, the camera, you know, catches them constantly. And he's like, I can feel them watching me. Um, oh, geez. So he makes elephant ears, actually. Um, he makes pommiers. He makes um, a passion fruit mifoy. And he makes tartlets with caramelized apple and marzipan. Um, and at the end of the challenge, poor Glenn, he says, they should be enough to keep me in. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, oh, no. Although, when they show... And they show everything he's made. His elephant ears do not look like elephant ears. They kind of look like a mix between, like, puff pastry and, like, tweels or something. But I think all of them would probably be tasty. Or, I don't know. The, Paul and Mary say that all the pastry sucks. Um, and everything looks hideous. They like some of the flavors. Um, they do. But, yeah, they, they really harp on all of them looking terrible. One of them, they say, looks like he dropped it. Yeah. All of them sounded really good in concepts, I think. Maybe maybe not Christine. I don't know. But everybody else, I thought they, like, sounded really good when they first described them to the point where it's, like, it would have been really hard to pick one. Like, if this was the menu and I had to order one, I'd be like, oh, "Oh God, I don't know. And then in the pre-bake stage, they all looked really good, too. I feel like at the point where they were, like, slicing them, where they were, like, shaping the pastry in intricate ways, they all looked so beautiful, and I was... Like, my hopes were super high. And then I feel like things came out of the oven and, like, final decorations went on or didn't. And everything fell apart at that stage. Like, like, like to my yeah. eye, it looks like everything went wrong at the very end for almost everybody. Yeah, I mean, that would be, they would be at, you know, three hours, 40 minutes or whatever. Like, that would be the time thing goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, things go wrong. Um, Becca says... Like, I can hand on my heart say running a marathon was easier than this. Yeah, so, I and she it. gets dinged for not glazing her puff pastry. Yeah, or her fruit. That's that's the thing, yeah. right? So oh, there's, right. Yeah. There's no, there's no glaze on the fruit and there's no like wash on the pastry. Like, everything looks very dull and matte. Um, and the fruit yeah. is just fruit. Like, it's not even like sugared or macerated or anything um although I'm sure it would I'm sure it would be tasty and I feel like if my friend served this to me after dinner I would be like excited and I would sort of be like wow you did a really good job this is so fancy I probably wouldn't necessarily get bogged down on those details um she got a really good rise out of her puff pastry like a really good rise um Mm, okay if if my friend served it to me of course but if I bought it in a bakery or if they were in a display case, <laughs> I would I would have a lot of criticism. Not not just about the lack of glazing, but then also that like massive rise on her puff pastry and then the way she chose to like leave it in big hunks. It looks very inelegant and very uneven yeah. and like lumpy. She's got like big lumps of puff pastry, <laughs> which is like not the vibe, right? These are supposed to be, you know, beautiful, delicate canapes. 
Yeah, the I, the Volavon looked good to me personally, but I thought it was kind of gray. The Volavon. Uh, well, maybe I have no um, nose for that because my pastry is always gray. <laughs> but her, hers had gluten. It. There's no reason for it. <laughs> yeah, how did it turn gray? Um, Francis, Francis's look amazing. Yes, Francis's yes. look like they are from a bakery. Absolutely. Um, and she makes a horn, so that's got to score some points. When I was saying, like, I would be so hard to pick based on the names because they all sounded so good, once you see them, it's like Francis 100%. Like, no one else comes yeah. close, I think. And she does, what does she do? She does um, raspberry cream horns, um, sheet music mifoy, and bass clef palmiers. She so, makes her palmiers look like a bass clef. Yeah. Um, but yours look like a tenor clef. That's Mine are the clef. That's the classic yeah. shape. Yes. Um, no, bass clef would probably be easier to make, actually. It's a simpler shape. But the other thing oh, is yeah. um, she has a little diagram next to her of what a piano keyboard looks like. So she could make sure that she decorates and orders them correctly. Like, I was yeah. so impressed. Like, she, not only did they, like, look so delicious and they were so structurally sound, you know, like when she's moving them around and manipulating them, they're really solid. Yeah. Her layers are so solid and so beautiful and so even. And then on top of that, she had this like amazing, like cool concept where everything fit together, but had like interesting complementary flavors. Like it was just total, total brilliant, total like a triple plus for Frances. Yeah, she did an amazing job. I I can't even. I don't even know how she would have done better. So, yeah, let's talk about Christine next, maybe. She makes Eccles Cakes, uh, another sticky toffee pudding spotted dick type thing. My family eats those. Um, fresh fruit baskets, which look very French. One of my pet peeves, and but French uh, patisseries do this, too, is they'll plunk a ground cherry on top of a fruit basket. Oh, yeah. And... And leave it in the frickin' wrapper. How am I supposed to eat that? I'm not. I had to pluck it off and de-wrapper it first. And that is annoying to me. Do you remember when people were putting gooseberries on everything for some reason? Like, it was yeah, just like a weird remember that. trend. And I remember yeah. they, like, they just, you know, like, a crate of them showed up and you're just supposed to garnish fucking everything with it all yeah. of a sudden. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I think it's because they look different then, you know, it's just, it's 100% a visual thing and not an eating thing, which mm-hmm. is exactly the same thing with the gra- ground cherry and it's like wrapper. Mm-hmm. And it is also just like, hey, look what we got from our supplier. After she said that as a ki- as kids, they used to call Eccles cakes fly pie. That's all I could see. That yeah. is what it looks like. Oh, yeah. That is exactly yeah. what it looks like. They look like, you know, it's filled with black fly corpses. <laughs> and I just kept thinking about that while, while they were cutting them, while they were eating them. And sort of imagining that texture. Yeah. And she goes with um, raw fruit in her mifoy, like raspberries and stuff. Mm. And the judges ding her for that too, which I probably would. I It would make it really awkward to eat eat it's also just like not what you're expecting i think with pastry like you're expecting it to be glazed yeah i don't know she i think i would say like middle of the pack ish kimberly and ruby are also middle of the pack ish like like even um the way the show is edited like they judge kimberly and ruby while they're playing that like fast-paced middle of the pack yeah. song you know <laughs> they're like we're blowing past these there were a couple flaws don't worry about it you know yeah. like, that's that song 
I take issue with one of the flaws that they point out about Ruby, one of Ruby's bakes. Um, she makes raspberry and passion fruit mifoy, caramelized apple lattice. I'm so bored of apples. And Portuguese custard tarts. And Paul says, like, that's borderline burnt about her custard tarts or something like that. But that is what every single Portuguese custard tart I've ever seen look like. Disagree. Hard disagree. Hers, the pastry part was burnt. When on Portuguese oh, custard that- tarts, you're supposed to you're supposed to torch the top, um, like of the custard. But she had actually burned some of the pastry around the edge. Is that what he was talking about, or was he talking about the custard? I thought he was talking about the custard. In the shot they showed, there was burned pastry, and I thought like, oh, she uh, overshot with her torching. <laughs> I thought he was talking about the custard, and that's why I was like, that is what it's supposed to look like, buddy. I realize you're the famous baker, but but if he was talking about the I yeah if he was talking about the pastry then 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 fair dues because I okay because I like I was typing notes and I had that thought too and then I like looked up and like that was the shot is like it was like burned pastry and I was like oh okay okay was he doing a thing where he was like tapping it with a knife no they do that on, they t- they tend to do that on the opposite like where it's where it's wet or soggy they, oh, they scrape yeah. they scrape the bottom um, yeah. instead of... <laughs> oh they're so mean when I'm thinking about it um yeah oh one thing I did I did like about Christy about about Kimberly's is she brought a live verbena plant with her like so that she yeah. could pluck the leaves <laughs> off it off it while it was alive and put them right on yeah, she does a she does interesting fla- she has probably the most interesting flavors of anyone's here. So mm-hmm. she has pear, malt, and butterscotch mifoy, blackberry and lemon verbena, creme brulee custard tarts, and fig, orange, and thyme galette. I love I love galette. At the very end, they the camera focuses on Glenn's station being a disaster. <laughs> yeah. You know, like his <laughs> freezer is hanging open, and like his piping bag is kind of like wedged in the bowl sticking straight up and it's just like a huge <laughs> huge sad mess and Glenn goes home in the end he says like I've done well I've gone I've gone a long way and I absolutely loved it and it it feels it feels right like it's sad because I love Glenn but it also feels like you know it feels like his time it feels like he's like he will be at peace with it like he's gonna go home and like still feel like he did a good job and he went home when he was supposed to yeah he did. Like, all of that is true. He, um, when I think about the Howard, Glenn, Rob contingent, it it's, like, less their skill, individual skills that really, like, set them apart, because they are all talented, than, than sort of, like, choices they make at any given point in time. Mm. And, yeah, so now we're left with um, Christine, Ruby... Kimberly, Becca, and Francis, and those five bakers feel like the strongest of the pack. It'll be interesting to see what happens now, like who gets sent home next. Before this episode, I would have said that I thought Becca was down there too. Like Becca is down there with Glenn oh. and Howard, and um, but she did so well this episode. She's ultimately not, like, not star baker. Francis is star baker. Well deserved. I think Francis was like knocking it out of the park left and right. Um, but I think Becca does extremely well. Like to me, she would have been second. She would have been like, you know, the yeah. the contender. And it really, it, and I feel like this is the one that like changed my perspective on her. I feel like up till this point, it felt like she was, 
baking for her family her grandma's recipes mm. and nobody like had ever scrutinized her this closely before yeah <laughs> yeah that's I mean that probably is still true she seems pretty solid in herself too like she really gets sort of thrown off mm-hmm. true. although sometimes she does poorly and then she gets irritated with the judges <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's been you know feeding people for 15 years right oh, like yeah. there there's a decree to which it's like Everybody loves it. I've made it a thousand times. Feeding people and and running marathons. Yes. So, yeah. Give her a break. Pastry is usually a good episode. I feel like it's yeah. it's a big risk-reward situation. <laughs> like, pastry is yeah. extremely hard. Um, and when it's done well, it's really, like, gratifying to watch. And the end results are really cool. And tasty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, should we say goodnight? Yes, I think so. Uh, this has been The Rough Puffs. Your hosts are Andrea Bennett and Kim Fu. Uh, Andrea also writes books, and their latest is Like a Boy But Not a Boy, a essay collection available wherever fine books are sold. You can find us on Twitter at Rough Puffs or on Instagram at The Rough Puffs. Uh, please consider telling a friend about the show if you like it. Somebody who likes baking or The Great British Bake Off or <laughs> who works in the food service industry or has a lot of anxiety. I feel like we cover a lot of ground. Yeah. <laughs> I adieu to all of our listeners and those poor beheaded nuns. It's a bilingual pun tonight. Goodbye started out life as God be with you, but I figured there was too much of a leap between goodbye and nuns. Yes, if you have to explain the etymology of the word goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> not a first Technically class pun. Technically it's a pun, everybody. <laughs>